0: Ed, what did you make of the coronation?
1: Well, I have to say that hearing Bryn Terfel sing the Kyrie in Welsh was a bit of a highlight. He was fabulous. Yeah, the music was wonderful.
0: I wondered. I did wonder with some of the music and Zadok the priest and that sort of thing if our law firm choirs um, (laughs) would be able to do it as well. It's it's a challenge to them. Good shout.
1: Very, very good shout. Everyone should uh, go back and listen to our Christmas podcast when we featured a lot of law firm choirs. And then you can decide for yourself whether they would have made the cut to get into Westminster Abbey.
0: But Charles wasn't the only one to get a promotion recently.
1: No, several firms have been crowning new senior leaders. We've got uh, Freshfield's new London managing partner, Mark Sansom, Kingsley Napoli's new senior partner, James Fulforth, and there are new heads of finance at Slaughter's and Litigation at Herbert smith Hills.
0: And as firms crown new kings, they've also been appointing the lords uh, to pay them homage, that's probably the junior partners, um, and do the hard yakka to pay, to pay them all the rent as well.
1: So if the junior partners are lords, what does that make the associates? Uh, The serfs, probably. (laughs) They they might work as hard as serfs, but serfs didn't get paid six figures. They just had an ox. Welcome to The Lawyer Podcast. I'm Catherine Griffiths, editor of The Lawyer.
0: I'm Christian Smith, litigation editor of The Lawyer.
1: And you may or may not be a bit sick of hearing about coronations, but... Much like the Royal festivities, partner promotion season is drawing to a close. And to take a look at some of the trends we've seen, our Deputy Editor City, Rachel Maloney, will be with us later in the podcast to discuss how associates at some of the city's biggest firms have fared in their partnership ambitions.
0: We'll also look at how the ever-growing Credit Suisse litigation might indicate a shift in litigation strategy and a burgeoning rivalry in London's litigation market.
1: But first, speaking of serfs on six figures, it was with much fanfare, probably more than the coronation actually, that Alan and Overy proudly declared last year that it had had enough of this ridiculous NQ salary war and that it wouldn't be raising its salaries to match the market anymore. And Linklater's followed suit.
0: Anyway, they both raised their NQ salaries in line with the market last week.
1: (sighs) Just some things are so inevitable, aren't they? But here, to express... His, I hope, deep disappointment with the decision. Um, well, we think, anyway, is the lawyer's deputy editor, at UK, Richard Simmons. Uh, sorry, Rich, we don't want to put words in your mouth. But but give us the background to all of this.
2: Well, I think you've given us the background, Cat. <laughs> what more is there to say? Except that salaries have been going up and up and up for the last few years, um, at thank you level and and beyond, driven, of course, by the US terms, isn't it always? And, uh, everyone has been forced to follow suit except for these two magic circle firms who tried to put the brakes on a bit last year, but, um, have eventually given in. And you know what? Um, I do have some sympathy with them. Yeah, it's a shame, but we've reached that point, uh, where the market is bifurcating. If you're not one of the, uh, big paying firms, then you can choose to be a different sort of business, more careersy, more lifestyle, if that's the word you want to use. Or you can choose to be a top tier, top paying, uh, hardworking uh, place to be. And, you know, when you're a magic circle firm, your choice is kind of limited.
1: I think it's about aspiration, isn't it? I mean, when we were talking about the Paul Hastings memo, you know, it is about sort of setting your stall out to the sort of firm you want. The, this is high pay. It's it's hard work. It's high hours. It's hugely successful. It's the kudos of working on the biggest deals that create the biggest amount of money, the biggest amount of fees, all of this kind of stuff. So I think there is a sort of a sense of uh, of brand placement as much as anything else it's not just an economic um kind of market thing i think it's i think it's about branding and positioning too
2: completely is it's completely brand brand, brand positioning and uh, you know that is the position that the magic circle firms find themselves in competing with the americans but it's also the choice that actually you know, the slightly smaller international firms or, you know, that that second tier down also has to make if you're an Ashurst, if you're a Simmons and Simmons, what do you do about this? All these large British heritage firms are going to have to make that choice.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But where does this leave? So uh, we talk a lot about the US-UK rivalry, and it just, it just threads through so much. It threads through so many sort of strategic decisions that law firms are making. However, it's very interesting that some of the very high-paying firms for NQs have not had, Aiken Gump is a really good example, highest-paying um, firm for NQs, uh, and it, it did not have a great year in London last year. So, uh, rather, when I say not great year, it didn't put on huge amounts of revenue. So, it didn't put on huge amounts of revenue, uh, and it's still got this huge cost um, that, that is now baked in. So, it seems to me that, that there will be some very difficult decisions made by quite a number of US firms to actually exit from the market, this sort of this ridiculous rampant inflationary market as well. Meanwhile, it, it sort of shows a certain amount of bullishness, I think, from the magic circle to say, Okay, we're, we're going to suck up this pressure. We can do it. We can take it. And we're still going to pay the most.
2: Yeah, I mean, they can. I mean, the th- point to make about firms like Aiken Gump, of course, is that they have relatively few associates. That's true. As about
1: 10, person, I think. Is it 10? Exactly. Like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. And um, so the, that pressure on them, even in a bad year, you know with the with the amount of money they're making it's it's not the end of the world
1: i wonder if we is there any way that we it, it's very difficult to tell isn't it because there are certain there are some firms who and as i understand with with certainly with aO link laters there's always internal debate there um about actually whether they maximize the bonus element of the comp or or actually go big on the flat rate if you like the sort of the the sort of the headline salary and that switches around from year to year and i i think that's certainly what was happening in a known link case um but of course it's not very transparent you know sort of the bonuses aren't made particularly transparent to the wider market so it is so again it is much more about it's almost like a comms exercise
2: Completely. And what we saw for a few years, a couple of years ago, the magic circle or, or one or two of them stopped announcing their base salary. And they went to this is how much you could earn if you earn every single mm. bonus on, the, uh, on offer. And that sort of ramped up the, the, the figure that, you know, to make it look more competitive with with the U.S. firms.
1: Sorry, Rich, do you get the feeling at all that the sort of the panic around this has subsided slightly. I mean, it was all the talk this time last year. No one was talking about anything else. At all. And it was a real worry for a lot of managing partners who were seeing seeing around corners and going, oh, my God, we're not building as much this year and we've got these gigantic salaries to maintain.
2: Well, you know, no, it becomes a new normal, doesn't it? It's, it's like the cost of living crisis. We we all we all groan when the price of cheese goes up by, you know, 50% or whatever it might be. But then you just suck it up and keep on buying the cheddar. Um, is that a good
0: analogy? I
1: don't know. NQs is, ch- NQs is cheese. Well, you know, what sort of cheese are you? I, I love, that's something that could occupy us for many a podcast, I think. We've,
0: yeah. we've had surfs and cheese already, I, I think, on here. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm just curious because they increased – the Clifford Chance and Freshfields increased their rates to the rates that Linklaters and A and O have now increased them to last May. So a year ago. So you know, are we, are we about to see what actually is going to happen? Is that those other two firms are now going to up their rates soon as well and leave? No,
1: please, don't, no! Please,
0: Freshfields uh, and getting
1: ridiculous. No, yeah, well, but it might
0: again. leave A and O and behind, and then all of a <laughs> sudden they're, they're oh going to have to make a choice about upping it again, and it, you know. <laughs>
2: I mean, it could. This this could completely happen. It, it has happened in the past. But I mean, ultimately, it's going to be dictated probably by what happens in New York, because that dictates everything when it comes to salaries. And what tends to happen is you have these wars that last for, for one or two years when it keeps going up and up and then it flattens off for a long time. There's a long period between 2009. And 2015, 16, 17, where actually NQ salaries didn't really go up that much. Mm. So we could be entering, or we might not be, a period where you know this this huge inflation just starts to settle down. And uh,
1: yeah, you're right because it, they they're just home. catching up because during that period, partner profitability you know doubled in that time, and NQ salaries were sort of you know pretty much at the same. So so you're absolutely right. They, you could argue that NQs are simply catching up in percentage it, it also- terms.
0: It is also something I'm quite curious about because we you can't. We kind of, you know, they, they they spend so much time figuring out what they want to pay their NQs and that sort of thing. But how many NQs are actually, or how many even trainees or pre trainees are are deciding between these firms on this basis? How you know, how many are saying, "I've got offers from Clifford Chance and aO and o and you know, I'm, I'm going to choose between them on on that basis, or you know, is it actually just a very small number of people that this is relevant to? Which then exactly. comes back to the point of what you were making earlier which is this is just all a marketing game mm. it probably is
2: a small amount of people but they're going to be the very best of those people
1: mm. and yeah like it, the the brand the branding thing the employer brand is you know paramount here um but it, this is unfortunately i've got a feeling this will run and run uh but uh, rich thank you very much indeed
0: Well, we're going to stick with the city for now because it's not just salary that NQ Associates will consider when it comes to electing their firms.
1: Partner promotion season is slowly wrapping up across the UK. And as the final data emerges, it reveals a lot about where some of the country's top firms see the market headed.
0: Our deputy editor, City, Rachel Maloney, has been seeing what the trends tell us. Rachel, deals might be down, it seems, but transactional promotions are up. What's the story there?
3: Yes you might have assumed firms might have decided not to promote people but they were probably making these decisions last year when things were really good and also they're probably thinking ahead as well because quite a lot of corporate lawyers are expecting a boom maybe at the end of this year but definitely you know normally when there's a lull that is then um, after that comes uh, a lot of activity going on so they need those partners so you might as well promote them.
1: Yeah, and I think there's very much a, you know, people take the medium term view. I mean, corporate has always driven, has been the bulk of most of the major city firms promotions historically, and they need that pipeline, particularly if in the magic circle and loads of US firms trying to nick half your young partners as well. So you need a great big farm of them, don't you, Rachel?
3: yes you do indeed there was loads this year actually for the magic circle I was actually quite surprised when I had a look at the number and when we're talking about corporate I was looking specifically at partners that spend most of their time advising on M&A deals um, so that's private equity the the corporate transactional part of that not the finance or um, you know real estate part of those transactions Um, and I was quite surprised that we've had two years that have been really big and I think that shows that they're keener than ever to make sure that they're bringing people up and, and not losing them
1: yeah this, this is the sort of the pure corporate they used to have a term in Freshfields. And they called them the spitfire pilots in the corporate
3: thing oh, which yeah. they actually
1: yeah they kind of banned that phrase after a while because it was a little bit a little bit sexist it wasn't very inclusive um but there is still that sense that the sort of you know the corporate partners that one sort of you know donning their you know donning their uniforms and flying high and all of this kind of stuff so there is a sort of sense that they you know that it is a bellwether to the to the to how firms are actually regarding their future there's an awful lot of chat about oh how many restructuring partners are you going to promote but that's just this that's such a kind of minor element to most firms. <laughs> not a lot as there? far as I <laughs> know <what> exactly <laughs> it's like if you want to be a restructuring partner um, if you're an NQ now and you fancy restructuring your way, then uh, well, good luck. Good, good luck. <laughs> good luck to you. But there is a sort of an interesting um, contrast because if you look at uh, the magic circle, and actually you noted that A and O was a prolific, has been a prolific promoter of corporate associates recently. Um, First of all, Rachel, tell us us a little bit about A&O. And also, could you talk to us about any contrast that you might find with the US firms that are kind of playing in the same field?
3: Uh, So yeah, I noticed A and O just because um, they promoted four this year, which was double the amount they did last year. And they're one of the ones that have actually missed out corporate a few years. um, Whereas the others like Freshfields and Linklaters promote people virtually every year. Um, A and O and Clever Chance kind of get a little bit annoyed because they're like, "Oh, we do corporate too," Um, and and they do, they do, and they promote. But they're a bit lumpy. It's
1: just lumpy, isn't it? (laughs) You never know from year to year. Is there going to be a bumper year for corporate A and O, or not? You know, whereas. Exactly. And yeah, it's this conveyor belt of, you know, glory, etc. Yeah. yeah,
3: exactly. So that's why I thought A&O was interesting, mm. um, just because it shows that, you know, they are really keen to build up that corporate lot whilst also maintaining that amazing finance and banking practice they have. When you also looked at US, they were also busy promoting in corporate as well. But the um I must admit the US corporate figures when you actually look at the London ones are really skewed by Kirkland who promote, I think it I can't remember the number for last year, but it was in the high twenties, um, in London alone. Um so when you actually look at that data, it's skewed completely. Um and they had quite a few corporate people um last year, as well as quite a few litigation, which Christian might be interested in, too, as litigation editor. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of competition going on for the for the best corporate people.
0: It's a really good point about uh, Kirkland growing its litigation team. It's not surprising that they're doing that. There's plenty of scope for them to do so. They've got a similar number of partners in litigation to, to firms like Clifford Chance. But, you know, there's always the talk about the fear of, of U.S. firms expanding more. But obviously part of the problem for U.S. firms is that they – find it much more difficult to hire than they do in transactional markets with disputes because often it needs to be homegrown partners uh, to work in UK litigation, which is obviously exactly what they're doing here. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see in the future firms like Kirkland and Latham and and those sorts of big US names promoting more internal litigation partners rather than bringing other ones in because that's proving difficult.
3: That
1: seems to suggest one thing which is that the magic circle and kirkland are the biggest not just producers of partners but of course you know producers of partners that subsequently find births elsewhere because we all know that you know kirkland tends to to promote younger uh, more junior people and quite a few of them just will will sort of go off to other firms and make their careers elsewhere not necessarily joining the kirkland equity um but it also makes me sort of think rather that actually that the sort of the the, the u.s firm's bench strength in corporate has been rather overstated um, given, given the figures that you're seeing. Um, I, I sort of wonder with with predictions that pure play private equity is kind of fading and the focus is much more on the bigger infra-based sort of deals, whether we're going to see that more and more, whether actually the Magic Circle and Kirkman, which is shifting more and more to infra. Latham, I should say, probably in the same, same camp – will pull away from the rest of the U.S. firms, which therefore, if you are a corporate associate, you know, where's your most likely path going to be? What what are your thoughts on that, Rachel?
3: So I think the... The, the interesting part of the US and the magic circle lot, maybe you could argue that the, uh, the magic circle have been promoting more than usual, and I think I counted 17 this year and last year, um, has been that the US firms keep on hiring some of their people and that means that they actually have some gaps which they need to fill. Uh, the fear will be, obviously, that those new partners also feel the pull of a uh, Kirkland or a Latham. But... Um, i mean that could be one reason why they seem to have been growing each year unfortunately um so we'll, we'll have to see what the u.s firms do this year and see yeah. if they nab any more.
1: and as always it is all you know it always comes down to the you know how good are you at growing your own and kirkland are good at that latham is good at that other firms pretty questionable i think um rachel thank you very much indeed Well, to finish off today, we move from the city to Canary Wharf, where creditors are fighting over the remains of the now collapsed Credit Suisse. But what's grabbing our attention are the litigation battles emerging between law firms. Now, Christian, give us the lowdown on what promises to be an enormous piece of litigation.
0: Yeah, well, look, very, very briefly, um, when Credit Suisse collapsed and then was sold to UBS, part of the deal that the Swiss regulator made was that what are known as AT1 bonds, were uh, are basically rendered worthless. So they normally, the investors who hold those bonds normally are, are ranked above shareholders in terms of their value. They were rendered worthless as part of this deal. Um, those bondholders are understandably, um, considering, considering that, are uh, a bit upset about it, and they are now looking at ways of enforcing their... Um, their investments and and, and and getting back on their investments through litigation. What we're seeing initially with this, and there are lots of different types of litigation going on in the background or, or potentially be considered in the background on top of this, but the, the first two things to emerge are these big, essentially, group action, class action uh, claims that are being brought by Quinn Emanuel and, and Palace Partners, um, both based out of London, or, even though this litigation is happening in Switzerland, What's really interesting from our perspective for this, though, is kind of how they've gone about launching this investigation, because it has been uh, very heavy handed in terms of the PR side of things. Mm. Now, part of the reason what essentially what that means is we've been getting a lot of press briefings and there's been a lot of coverage in the media about these firms trying to bring in more creditors to join their actions. And that's really because they want to build up these actions so they're more valuable because the more valuable they are, the better it is for uh, for the firms acting on them themselves. Now, there is also a legitimate reason as to why they've been so heavy handed in this way. And that's because there was a hard deadline uh, last week now. Um, in, in terms of when when they needed to file uh, these claims and when their creditors needed to claim um, against, against the Swiss regulator. But more importantly, we think uh, than this, in terms of these firms, is, is their litigation strategy is to build up the claim and do so quite aggressively so that at the end of the day, they can take away more money themselves.
1: Yeah, and that actually is an increasing feature on the litigation landscape, sort of lit- litigation comms, has become fundamental to the way that an uh, increasing number of law firms are doing business, particularly if they're in the sort of group action competition uh, sort of sphere as well. But there's something very interesting here as well, isn't it? Because Quinn and Palace are – They're they're kind of similar as law firms. Quinn is much larger. It's a big sort of, you know, US multi jurisdictional law firm. It does only litigation. Palace Partners was a spin off from Boys, Boys Schiller, which is a US UK firm, uh, but now has a US uh, New York office as well as a UK office. Um, Both very aggressive, uh, set their stall out doing sort of big cases um, for and against banks, uh, mostly against banks. Um, And there seems to be a very interesting, as I say, rivalry emerging, particularly on this Credit Suisse case, but also sort of elsewhere in terms of positioning?
0: well I think we're likely to see more of this sort of stuff because they are in many ways going to be chasing the same sort of work mm-hmm. and often what, what's hap- what happens with these sorts of things as well is that when you have these big class actions you can often then consequently have carriage disputes or other forms of disputes where where the courts will elect one of the and those those are different things but broadly the, the consequence is the same in that the courts will elect one of the claims to go ahead and then the other firm will either miss out completely or miss out you know slightly in terms of in terms of how they run the case and so i think we're going to see more and more of this competition for this sort of work it, it's quite common to have this sort of uh, uh, litigation comms used in this way sure. um, in yeah. the states but here it's still quite new and and you know other firms can be brought into this as well i think i think probably firms like Housefeld, other big kind of city claimant firms that are doing sort of financial financial work will be doing this as well um and it's and it is something that could see more animosity between these firms because you know it's sort of a zero sum game if one wins the other doesn't
1: mm. and there is some suggestion from some quarters that actually this is uh, it has you know sort of the presentation of it the external presentation of it for all these strategic reasons has a knock-on effect on actually how the arguments the actual legal arguments arguments are being structured
0: yeah uh- I I think, you know, it's quite understandable why litigation comms has become such a big thing in the UK and and in other parts of the world, of course, as well, um, in the last decade or so. I I mean, it's been around for longer than that, of course, but in many ways, you know, having a court case against you as a big company, depending on what it's about, but if it's about a class action of some kind, if it's about the environment in particular or the way you treat workers, uh, that, you know, in in the world of social media then becomes almost an of of guilt often, you know, it's the sort of thing where if you've got a case against you, a lot of people see it as that you're guilty, and they want to boycott your your product, your company as much as they can. Um, and so, therefore, you know, a, a litigation comms running the case and r- running the media side of the case well is is almost as important as actually winning the case itself. And and one way that that has been seen is, is something I've been told by a few people now is that you get. Uh, uh, skeleton arguments in particular but other other parts of pleadings and that sort of thing which are almost completely edited by, um, by PR, by litigation strategic comms people who go in because they know what journalists are going to read, they know they're going to probably mm. read the start, maybe the end and then they'll send them some important paragraphs to pull out.
1: Can but I just can... point out the reason journalists are doing that is not because we're lazy it's because we've got horrible deadlines yeah, all the yeah. time.
0: No, no, <laughs> yeah, exactly and if, and, if, and if there's something in the First, kind of three or four paragraphs that yeah. is really catching. Um, you, you're you more likely to use it, uh, yeah. and, and and that's what's happening. So so now, you know, traditionally the sort of uh, 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 skeleton argument was a very precise, you know, piece of advocacy. Yeah. It was very almost academic and how and how it worked. Whereas now it's much more sort of playing to the crowd in some it reads ways. Like a,
1: they re- totally, it is like they totally. reads like a film script sometimes. And I think the JP Morgan Nigeria cases uh, that those skeleton arguments on that one oh my Mm. lord, it Mm. was lurid. It was like, he said, she said, you know, blah, blah, blah. It was fantastically interesting. Mm. And you could really sort of see, it seemed to be a kind of Netflix pitch for, I mean, you know, the construction of the narrative was absolutely gripping in a way that you wouldn't have got, I don't think, 10 years ago. It was absolutely fascinating. And the fact, the release of those arguments as well release of those documents to a wider audience which you wouldn't normally have have had you know several years ago
0: absolutely and i think just the other thing to add more generally with with how this sort of stuff works now is that what we're seeing in this quinn palace you know they're not actually against each other or they're just competing Mm. for clients effectively but Mm. what we're seeing in that is how the firm wants to portray themselves to the market the image that they want to give off and quinn in particular has traditionally been known very well as being very aggressive and ruthless. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. That's, that's how some people run litigation. Um, and what you can tell so much from that is what other firms aren't doing in that same position, which are kind of happy to sit in the background, you know, not get involved in the sort of panic rush to do this sort of thing. And the image that they're putting across is that they are perhaps more, you know, quite measured, not aggressive, but will will re- uh, defend your interests on a quieter basis. So for people who don't want that sort of coverage, then other firms to go to but if you want a firm that will ruthlessly fight for you and make sure that your name looks good in the press it might be more of a quinn or a palace so it's really interesting to see you know how those firms run themselves
1: absolutely and it makes clients um you know lives easier if they can if they're presented with a clear choice of style and so on that is all we have time for on this episode of the lawyer podcast
0: Thank you very much for listening. You can contact us at podcast at the lawyer.com And of course, you can find more about everything that we've been discussing at thelawyer.com.
1: We'll be back again in a fortnight. Until then, goodbye. goodbye.